Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hi there. Welcome to Grief to Growth Podcast. Your host is Brian Smith, spiritual seeker, best-selling author, grief survivor, and life coach. Brian believes that the worst tragedies of life provide the greatest opportunity for growth. Brian says he was planted, not buried, and he is here to help you grow where you've been planted by the difficulties in life. In each episode, Brian and his guests will share what has helped them to survive and thrive. It is his sincere hope this episode helps you today. Hey, everybody. This is Brian back with another other episode of Grief to Growth. This is, uh, I've got with me today Xander Masser. He's an occupational therapist. He's a husband, a father. He's a musician, and he's the author of the narrative photography book, Unburying My Father. Uh, Xander's father, Randy, contracted HIV from using contaminated blood products to treat his bleeding disorder, and he died in 2000 from AIDS-related illnesses. 20 years later, Xander unburied 10,000 slides from Randy's from Randy's career as a professional photographer, which prompted him to dig deeper into his father's life. And what started as a photography project evolved into a transformative exploration of living with and healing from grief. The book is called Unburying My Father, and it was funded by a successful Kickstarter campaign. Since then, Xander has delivered talks and workshops around the U.S. and Canada and has created several photography exhibits featuring his father's work. So I'm really excited to have with me today Xander Masters. Uh, Welcome, Xander. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. So first of all, what is a narrative photography book? What does that mean for people that aren't aware of that? Sure. So practically speaking, um, it's, it is a photography book. Um, you know, it's, it's like, if you think about a, uh, coffee table book when you flip through and there's, you know, professional photos on nice paper, um, it's kind of like that, but the difference is that, um, there's an arc that uh tells my father's story and the book is a little bit smaller than uh what you might think of as a coffee table book and the reason i did that is that i want people to actually read it through you know oftentimes coffee table books you know flip to a page here and there look around and put it down which is also fine um but my intention was for people to, you know, read it all the way through. Obviously, you know, I can't control how people consume my book, but that's that's my hope. Um, and it's narrative because um, there are many, many voices uh, that tell my father's story. So it's not just me. Um, you know, in the description, when you said, uh, you know, that I was prompted to dig deeper into my father's life, what that means is that as I unburied the 10,000 slides, um, you know, and initially I was, my intention was to create an archive and share his photography. Um, but I thought, you know, 
to me, his, his photography is really amazing and it's an incredible body of art. And I think that anyone who appreciates photography and art would probably enjoy it. Um, but I thought to myself, how can I share this if, you know, he wasn't famous. Um, he was a professional, it was his career, but not a lot of people outside of his circle and his professional circle knew him. So I thought, well, he's got a seemingly compelling story in terms of, you know, how he died. Um, but then I thought, well, I should tell his story and then realize, wow, I don't, I don't actually know that much about my dad at all. Um, even though we had an incredibly close relationship, I was 14 when he died and mm. I had, you know, 14 amazing years with him. Um, but I was a child and we didn't speak as adults. We didn't really have adult conversations. And so as an adult, you know, still to this day, thinking about my dad every day, it was like, I can't believe I'm, you know, in my thirties and I actually don't know that much about my father. And so, um, I basically created a list of around 40 or 50 people that I thought I could ask questions to about my dad as a way to get to know him, but really as a way to tell his story in order to create this book with a more maybe wide appeal. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think with artists in general, it's, it's helpful to know their background because it, it, it gives insight into, you know, what their art is, why they made it that way. And, you know, there's, it provides um, some substance, I think, to the art. And so anyway, I just, you know, I received this incredible response where like, you know, every day for several months, these stories would flood my inbox about my dad and, you know, I would just sit there and cry and laugh and, you know, the thing that was so helpful about this and, and why I use that term narrative so purposefully is that I asked people to share stories with me. I didn't want them to say, to like describe my dad, like, Oh, he was small or he was funny or whatever. Mm -hmm. I wanted to hear the stories that back that up. Um, and, you know, as you probably know, there's a lot of power in storytelling and we can learn a lot by telling stories and hearing stories and man, I received dozens and dozens and dozens, you know, about 80 pages worth of stories. And, um, basically what I did was I, I pieced those stories together, uh, which also obviously include my own stories and those of my mother and my brother, um, to create the arc of my father's life. And so the book takes you through, you know, from the beginning of his, you know, the first week of his life until the day he died and after. Um, and so that's, that's how the book goes. And um, yeah, so that's why I use that term narrative photography. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting process that you went through. So you're, you were a child when your father, when your father died. Um, so what did you learn about your father going through this process? I'm sure you had a whole different perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot, you know, the, the first thing I think that happened was, instead of learning more confirming some of my memories about him, because I remember him being this very funny, um, very lovable character. And uh, from the stories I received that, that was just confirming for me that people, he was almost like a universally loved person in a way that 
people just felt comfortable and connected to him very easily, uh, whether it be his best friend from college or someone, a nurse he, you know, that was on his care team that saw him every three months. It could be anyone. And they just, there's that similar sentiment about him. Um, so that was confirming um, the things I learned about him um, that really were revelatory for me were was actually, it actually came from kind of missing information, um, which was that he didn't talk to anyone about his illnesses, his fear of death, um, his anger. You know, my dad was born with a bleeding disorder, which severely limited his, his life in many ways. Um, he had a physical disability because of it. Um, and, you know, he couldn't do a lot of things he wanted to do. And then using the medication to treat that disorder, he contracted HIV, which led to AIDS and led to his death. And so, you know, you can only imagine how much must have been going on inside of his head and in in his brain and in his heart, psychologically and emotionally. And he kept that to himself. And one of the things my mom shared with me was that it was his wish to maintain positivity. And I, you know, I use quotation marks for those who can't see me um, Mm -hmm. because what that, what that looked like on a daily basis was total silence around the fact that in our household, there was a person with, uh, you know, a disease, infectious disease, a terminal illness. Um, and so that was a, a huge piece that I learned about was that my dad just could not, did not, would not speak to his family or his friends about it. And, hmm. um, you know, I, I learned subsequently about myself, which was that, you know, that was a learned behavior. And after my dad died, I totally took that on. And, you know, I went through my own trauma of losing my father and living with severe grief for a long time. Mm-hmm. I didn't talk to anyone. You know, I, I was put in a room with a therapist after he died and bereavement groups and stuff for a little while. But I wasn't willing and I wasn't ready to really talk about it. And only in retrospect, in learning about my father and about my family and my mom's experience that I learned that. And there was a total missed opportunity, I think, on my father's part to speak to us more about what was going on, but um, he didn't. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of mixed emotions and mixed feelings about, you know, feeling anger towards him all these years later for that. But at the same time, feeling so much compassion and empathy for him and for my mom, because, you know, their situation was just so hard and, you know, I'm a new father now and I I just can't imagine trying to have that conversation with, with my kid. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think it's possible. And I think that there, there are ways it could have been done and it, and it wasn't. So I'm kind of like met with this, this juxtaposition of anger and empathy and compassion and love all mixed up together. And, you know, I'm okay with that. Um, I think that's like kind of, you know, one of the end results is like just acknowledging all of that and being okay with it makes me feel better. And as part of my growth and my healing and my grief. Yeah. 
Well, you know, you, you talked about uh, not being ready to talk about it at, at 14, but a lot of, and, and there we do have learned experiences from our parents, of course, but kids also grieve differently, especially I think teenagers do. Um, we don't really know how to handle our emotions at that age. So I, I'm curious, you, it's a, it was 20 years when you uncovered these photos. Did you find them 20 years later? So I actually found them with my brother 10 years after he died. So about a decade after, um, at that point we were, or my mom was still living, um, in our childhood home and my brother and I one day just went down and we're like, you know, we know dad was a photographer. We grew up with his beautiful photos on our walls and, you know, family photos. He he was really talented, but we were like, he must've left more than that, more than what's just on our walls behind. And we were, Mm -hmm. you know, without, articulating it looking for an opportunity to reconnect with him and wow i mean we you know it was just amongst what someone might imagine in the rubble of of a basement that's been untouched for a long time Mm -hmm. um it was mostly disorganized um but it was all there and you know my brother and i we just we would take slides and just hold them up to the light and, and like, wow, we were so amazed by some of the imagery, even just looking at it like that. And so our initial idea was just to like share his photography. Let's just share his work. But we didn't have any money to like get them digitized and we didn't have a machine to do it ourselves. And I was, we were both living in other parts of the country so it just like did nothing materialized. Um, fast forward literally another 10 years after, you know, the photos have been boxed up, moved around, our, the house was sold. My mom moved around a few times. It was in storage units and different basements. And finally, um, a family member of mine knew that I had an interest in doing something with the photos and she gave me an old slide scanner that she had sitting around. And so that's actually what prompted me to collect all 10,000, took them home with me with this machine. And, you know, I didn't know what this was going to look like. I never done this before. Um, but I just became obsessed um with doing this and i scanned all ten thousand of them manually myself and created an archive so it's totally organized and it's physical and digital and that's kind of how this all started and but you know at least that's there was like the initial idea 10 years after he died and then really things starting to happen 20 years after Mm -hmm. so is that when you started interviewing people for the for the book yeah. So once I, you know, could see the photos on my computer and um, go through all the photos, which I did many times, that's kind of what prompted the next, that other step. I was kind of doing them in conjunction. Hmm. And one of the amazing things was that, and, and this is really what I think gave life or gave wings to this project, which was that, you know, I'd seen the photos many times and I got to know them. Mm-hmm. And as the stories flooded in, I started to see this connection between my dad's lived experience as told by people who loved him and the photos that he decided to beautifully capture with his camera. And so, you know, one one that always sticks out to me is this, this story that my dad's first cousin told from when they were like five years old or something, little kids. And 
my grandmother, my dad's mom had planned to take uh, my dad and his cousins to the Statue of Liberty. They were living in an apartment in New Jersey. And he's telling the story about how they were playing outside the apartment before they were supposed to leave. And my dad jumped off a bench and hit his knee and his knee blew up like a balloon, which is characteristic of people with hemophilia. Mm. And they didn't go that day. And my dad had to go to the hospital to get a blood transfusion. And, you know, as I go through the photos, I found probably a dozen of these incredible photos of the Statue of Liberty, of different angles and different mm-hmm. uh, colors of the sky. And just they're so beautiful. And And I thought to myself, like, I wonder, I wonder if he was conscious of that memory when he took the photo or if not. I wonder if it's still subconsciously playing into his experience of being there, uh, photographing it, even deciding to photograph it at all. And, and so in that way, I started to feel kind of collaborative with my dad. Um, and it also helped me to piece together the book where some of the stories are kind of matched with photos. You know, that's a kind of literal example. Sometimes there's more abstract examples, mm-hmm. um, but that experience was so profound for me. Um, and that's what I kind of referring to earlier about like providing back uh, an artist's background as to why they're doing the art they're doing. And this really gave life to his photos. So um, that, that brings the the book together. Yeah. I think that's, that's really uh, interesting because, you know, a, a very, very long time ago, people have listened to the podcast before, you know, I tell the story all the time. I took a, a little mini course. It's called What You Are Is Where You Were When. And mm-hmm. I think to really understand people, we really need to know their backgrounds. And as children, we don't know a lot about our parents. We think of them as these big, perfect beings, you know, for a while. And then we think of them as, you know, not so great. But we don't understand where this where those traits came from. So I imagine you learned a lot about your father and were able maybe to relate to him better after going through this process. Yeah. Totally. Um, You nailed it because, you know, when I went into this, I totally viewed my father as like this idealized version of a human that could do no wrong or, you know, I could never be mad at or, you know, you know, just just not a whole version. And after learning about his story and the story of, you know, tainted or contaminated blood and how it all went down, there you know, so many pieces of his life that I didn't know about. And so I have this whole version of him now and, and I'm so happy about that, even though maybe there are some parts of it that make me angry or resentful, or, you know, like I was talking about before in terms of his silence, like the fact that I know him as a person and not this, you know, idealized figment of a person um, Mm -hmm. has been really helpful for me. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called Fan Mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. So did you learn like where his silence came from when you were doing the background? Did you find out maybe why he had that trait? Um, I think there are a lot of factors involved. Not, not specifically, but I think I know that his parents weren't really 
open to kind of like being vulnerable and talking about those types of challenges. I think there are probably generational factors. You know, I, I think my dad's generation didn't grow up in a household where you talk about that. Right. Uh, and obviously, you know, there's so much stigma around HIV and AIDS, you know, he, he contracted it in the early eighties. So wow. there was so much not known about it. And um, it was pretty typical for someone like my father to not talk about that with yeah. anyone. Um, so, you know, I, I acknowledge all of those things for sure. Yeah. How old was your father when he passed? He was 52. Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah. So yeah. And in the eighties, well, you're right. There was not a lot known about AIDS and then there was a lot of stigma around it, even when we yeah. did find out things about it. So I would imagine that played into, you know, him not really wanting to talk about it either. Definitely. So, um, you know, as we were talking right before we started recording, I think it's really interesting to talk to people about different types of grief and different grief processes. So for those, uh, the several years between the time your father passed 20 years and the time that you worked on this project, how were you processing your grief at that time? You mean along those 20 years? Yeah. Along those 20 years. Um, mostly in silence. Um, you know, when I say silence, I mean, my internal dialogue was very loud, mm -hmm. uh, but without really talking to many people about it. Um, you know, I, I spent a long time thinking about how my dad's death impacted my life. Um, you know, as a young adult, I asked myself the, you know, the question that I think a lot of young adults ask, which is, you know, why, why am I who I am? Who am I in this world? Uh, you know, existential questions, um, which are important to ask the answer that kept coming back to me was while well, I am who I am because my dad died, I'm, you know, maybe I feel socially uncomfortable because, because my dad died or because I'm grieving or um, maybe it's hard for me to stay in one place. Maybe I can't let go of people. Um, you know, there's a lot of traits about me that I tied in to my dad's death. Mm -hmm. One of the things, you know, I'll, I'll jump, I'll jump around a little bit here if that's all right. Yeah, sure. One, Great. one of the things, you know, after the 20 years and one of, one of the revelatory aspects of this project was that it allowed me to see that my father's life impacted me so much more than his death. Mm. And when, and I could only know that by learning about his life and how he lived and how, what kind of person he was. And looking back now, all those years later, it was like, why was life left out of the grief work for me? You know, like there was so much talk about how to deal with death. Mm. Where's the life in that? And it, it just got left out. And, um, you know, I think that's, I, I don't know how common that is, but I feel like it is common because it's, we, we try to learn coping mechanisms or ways to process death, but I think the best way to process death is to focus on life. And, and I've only kind of learned that fairly recently, but it's never too late to learn that. Um, and, you know, I spent every day and I still do, I, I think about my dad every day. It's never gone away. So, you know, the idea that people move on or, you know, you got to, 
keep busy and forget about the past. You know, these, these tropes that, that we all grieving people here is, you know, they're not, they're not true and they're not helpful. Um, You know, I think other ways that I was processing was, you know, using alcohol, using drugs. Um, I wasn't in like any trouble per se, but um, you know, I think I was using too much to a point to maybe numb myself a little bit, Mm -hmm. kind of a a bit of some classic behavior, I think. Um, so yeah, you know, it's been, it's been a long journey. Um, but it's, you know, I've come to a good place. Yeah. And what you said that was so profound. I just want to echo that back. Um, you know, the thing is a lot of times where we're a group, we do focus on, on the death and we focus on, uh, the bad things we focus on the illness. So we remember people that way. And we forget about the, the, the great years, the great time that we had with them. Uh, and, and this process, I guess, kind of forced you to, to look at your father's life as opposed to focusing on the end. Definitely. And, and to, to add on to that, you know, my dad certainly lived with grief while he was alive. You know, he, he lived with a lot of loss and his loss was not death, but it was loss of his capacities Um, you know, the loss of freedom to do whatever you wanted to do and, you know, a slow deterioration. Yeah. Um, but he was not ever known as being a sick person. He did not identify as an angry, bitter, ill individual. He was, he identified as an artist. He was known as a person who gave love and light everywhere he went. And so that's kind of an uh, analogous to what we're talking about is that, you know, even in grief, the life needs to be there um, and it can, it can, it can overpower the grief or at least, you know, give a, a spin, a positive spin to it. Yeah, you're, you're right. And I think um, fortunately we're getting to that, I think in, in grief work with people where there's the, the term that's using now it's called continuing bonds. Uh, mm-hmm. And in the old days, it'd be like, okay, that person is gone. Uh, you're never going to see them again. Your attachment is unhealthy. So let it go and move on. And we realized that doesn't, that doesn't work. As you said, you were, you were a child when your father passed and 20 years later, you still think about him every day. And that's, I think it's, I think it's healthy. I, you know, I think it's, I think it's fine as long as we can put their life in perspective and we're not, you know, we're not allowing it to hold us back from our lives and using it as an inspiration to move forward. I think this, this, this tribute you've given your father is just awesome. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe the NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. Well, thanks for saying that. And and I I love the term continuing bond because that's exactly what this project has done for me. And it's like, 
if I go back to your question about how I was processing for 20 years after it was like, I felt stalled, you know, it was like a stalemate. I just Mm -hmm. ate in this one quiet place where, you know, I just talked to myself about how shitty it was that my dad died. And now there's just so much life involved in, in how I think about him and specifically in terms of continuing bond, because I have this project and because I'm, it's not, it's, it's the book and I'm also presenting it um, as a photography exhibit. I'm giving talks, I'm giving workshops, you know, I'm very active with it. My dad and I are currently interdependent on each other. Mm -hmm. And in order to share his photography, he needs me to tell the story. And I think in order for me to tell the story, I need his photography because they go hand in hand and they, they make each other more compelling. Um, And so, you know, if that's ever an example, if there's ever an example of continuing bond, I think that's a really, really good one. Yeah. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And and the thing is um, things, shitty things happen to all of us in our lives. Right. Um, And it's, so it's not a matter of if they're going to happen to us, it's when they happen to us and what's going to happen to us. But the real question is, what do we do with it? Mm -hmm. You know, how do, how do we move on from that? You know, how do we take that and turn it into something uh, that's, that's beneficial to your, to ourselves and to everybody else. And that's why when I saw your story, I was so moved by it. And I said, I really want to have this guy on to talk about this. Because we all have to process grief differently. And I think this is a really unique and interesting way to do it. Um, I, I interviewed a young man on my program that his father died when he was like 12 or 13. And he started a company where people can come and like share their legacy while they're living, like record videos to leave to their kids. Because he said, I don't want anybody to ever have to go through this again. Um, and Love you're that. And you're showing like, okay, I can even, even 20 years after my father's passing, I can still take this and make something of it. Yeah, totally. And um, I think, um, first of all, you know, not everyone's, the person that you are grieving, whoever's listening out there, you know, not everyone's grieving a, a professional artist or someone who left behind, you know, thousands of artifacts from their career. Um, I got well, I'll say I got lucky in that sense, only because, you know, my dad left behind such an amazing legacy, but everybody leaves behind a legacy no matter what. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, that's a major tenant of the workshop that I give. And it ties into what you're saying about what we do with grief. We need to make meaning out of it. And so the workshop I put together is basically I took my creative process and broke it down into 10 concrete steps. And it's a process for creating memorial art. And so at the end of the workshop, the participants have a roadmap for how to memorialize someone they love. And so for me, it turned out to be this book and, you know, many other aspects of my project, but for somebody else, it would be something totally different. So the point being that they don't have to create a professional photography book. They could create a dance. They could create a meal they could do. It could be as small or as big as they want, Mm -hmm. um, but it's a way to open up the conversation um, and continue the bond as we're talking about. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I'm I'm glad. I'm so happy you're doing that. And it's interesting that I found that um, I think, you know, we're not all artists. I know you're, you're an artist and a musician and, you know, you've got the book and your father's a photographer, 
but I think we all have a need to create on some level. Um, for me, I give speeches, I write, I podcast, I do stuff like that. Uh, I think we, we all have that kind of that desire in us, but we have to find out what works for us. What, what is our outlet for our grief? And I like bringing people with different examples because again, no one's going to follow your exact path, but they can be inspired by what you've done and said, what would, what would the legacy be for my loved one? What did, what did they leave behind her? How can I learn more about them? Uh, the idea of, I think it's brilliant for you as a child when your father passed to say, let me talk to people who knew him when he was young and let me get some stories because the few stories I have about my parents has really helped me to understand them, you know, and it and helps you to forgive. I, I think, I, I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's, it's interesting to hear stories from other people because I think they tell the stories that our parents just won't tell us, you know, yeah. like if I'd ask my parents those questions, maybe they wouldn't answer, but or they'd give different answers. So, you know, it, it also just places them in the world outside of you. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. my parents existed for a long time without me and they had this whole life and, you know, it wasn't always all about me because when you have a kid, it's all about the kid, you right. know? Right. Um, so, and also just the simplicity of reaching out. It, it's, it's a simple concept. Who knew my dad? Okay. I could, think of many people off the top of my head. Maybe not everyone has a huge social network, but I think um, we can all think of a few people that knew the person we're grieving. Mm-hmm. And what can I ask them? Mm-hmm. And leave it open. And the cool thing too, you know, there's so many layers to this, but when I started to speak to some of these people, it led to these deep conversations with them, not necessarily about my dad, but maybe about their life or about my life or, you know, what it was like for them to experience my dad's death or someone else, you know, it, it just turns into something else. And just those interactions alone felt worth it to me because the, mm-hmm. at the core of this project is like, I'm trying to connect and I'm, I connect a lot of dots, but I, I want to connect on a deeper level and I've never been able to do it just by sitting and talking about it. Cause I just, I wasn't equipped or I didn't know how, but this project has opened up the door to conversation for me. And that's what I want other people to know, especially if they take my workshop is that the outcome is that if, if you have a hard time talking about your grief or your loss, here's a concrete thing. You can go out and make it and then mm-hmm. talk about it as yeah. opposed to like, here's what happened to me, or here's how I feel right now. Here's a really cool thing I made. Here's what it's about. And it opens up the conversation in a, I think an easier way. Yeah. And I think the process is, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe as important as the final pro- product, yeah. um, you know, the, the process, those conversations and, and getting to know people, because we tend to think of people as one dimensional. We look at them from our point of view. If it's, if it's a parent, then that's my father. If it's a child, it's, that's my child. If it's, you know, and we look at people as and their, their relation to us, but people are multifaceted and, and everybody views them a little bit differently. And by talking to multiple people, you can kind of fill that picture out as to who this person really is. Totally. And that's a, that's one of the major points in the workshop is, you know, trying to encourage variety in people. You know, I talked to this, this guy who, 
was the former executive director of the Hemophilia Association of New York. And I had known that my dad had some affiliation with them, but I didn't really know. This guy told me that my dad was an active board member for over 20 years. He was their vice president, that he ran youth groups um, for young adults with bleeding disorders, that he counseled uh, young families, and that he advocated. He wrote letters to politicians to, you know, to advocate for people in the bleeding mm. disorder community. I didn't know my dad did all that. Yeah. You know? And so that just like that well-rounded view of a person is it, it, I was so grateful to that guy to that he was willing to speak to me and gave me this whole other perspective of my dad that allowed me to respect my father even more than I already right. did, you know right and that's the thing we don't know what we're going to learn is my daughter was 15 when she passed and she lived with us her entire 15 years and we homeschooled her so I saw her every day and I work from home so I, I had such a connection with her, but when she passed and people came and told me stories like Shana did this or Shana did that, things that I didn't know, because we don't know everything about a person. And those things can be so touching to find out that, that the person that we, we love and respect is like even more than we knew. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's, and it's, you, anyone can do it. I really believe that I, I want to empower people to just know that. You, even if it's just one person that you know knew the person that you lost, it's worth it to just ask a few questions, even if you're not going to make a big project out of it. Yeah. It's that part of the process that's really important. Yeah. And, and I think some people will be intimidated and say, well, I don't, you know, I'm not creative. I can't, I can't come up with a project. And again, I encourage you to do it anyway. I had a, I had a client that she was a, a life coaching client and I'm not even sure how we started. But we were just talking and she goes, what I really want to do, I want, to, I want to leave a legacy. I think I want to write a book about my life. So we went through a process and it was a few months. Every couple of weeks, we get on a, we'd get on a Zoom call and she would tell me another little piece of her life. And just watching her mind change and, and as she went through things in her life and as I reflected things back to her, it was a really cool pro process. I was like, wow, this is I should offer this as a product because um, yeah. I think we both were impressed, you know, as to how it went. So I would say to people that are, that are listening to this and say, you know, I don't know what my project will be. You don't even have to have a project. Just take notes. Definitely. You don't, you don't have to. Um, but I like what you said there because it kind of ties into like, you're talking about this person wanting to leave their own legacy. Well, the thing that, one of the major turning points in my project was when I decided to share my story and mm. I didn't, I'm not necessarily viewing it as my legacy, but it's part of my legacy. It's my, my experience of my dad and my experience of his death, because I had all these stories from his friends, from his family. You know, I got amazingly vulnerable stories from my mom and stuff from my brother and then it was like, now it's time for me. And my initial intention of this project was never to be about me at all. But as soon as I started to share my experience, first of all, just the catharsis of writing it down on paper or, you know, on a computer document was mind blowing to me mm -hmm. because I shared story and, you know, it was in that theme of storytelling mm -hmm. narrative and I was sharing 
I was writing stories I had never told anyone, including my wife. Mm. And that is, to me, that was like the hook that really brought this project together. And it started to just be about me and and my relationship with my dad. And I was surprised that I was doing it. And I was surprised at the impact that it was having on this, on the story as a whole and the project. And when I would tell people about it or share it. Um, and, you know, I think for people who are listening and are interested in, you know, maybe doing a project about their person, one way to make it easier is to tie yourself in and yeah. share your story and your relationship with that person. And one of the, the things I encourage my workshop participants to do is one of the steps is called you and it's to write down or share a story that you've never or rarely shared with anyone mm. and it's really powerful and it can have a, a lasting impact and so i really have rolled with that approach with this project in many different ways um, and so being vulnerable is a whole other aspect of this yeah well, you know, it, it is really interesting that you said you started this out to be about your father and, and it's a tribute to him. That's that's really cool. But it also shows how we're all inextricably related. So you couldn't do this without including yourself in it. And now it's, as you said, you, you're the voice now. You're the you're the face of the projects. So you've got to come out and do this. And mm-hmm. and it's and it shows I, I love the the intergenerational aspect of it, because as kids, we I had two, I have two children, one's in spirit and one's still here. And I always tell people, you should always have at least two children because you'll realize that you don't create them, that they come in with their own stuff. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, we do pick up a lot from our parents. And I think, you know, and I'm, I'm 60 now, 61. And I still realize how much I picked up from my parents, whether I like it or not. Yeah. Um, so something like this project can kind of help you see where he came from, where you came from and how you relate. Yeah. And there's a healing nature to that, you know, understanding yourself. Yeah. Only way I I think it's, it's healing to understand oneself. And like you said, I think the only way to understand oneself is to understand where you come from. Mm -hmm. And so when I learned these very difficult, vulnerable stories about my mom and my dad and what it was like for her um, to be his partner and his caregiver, you know, and, and then how they dealt with that. It allowed me to rethink what my past was and that carries over to my present and my future. And, you know, it, it allowed me to build empathy and compassion and just understand how important it is to know someone's story before you judge them, even though we shouldn't be judging anyone, but you can't unless you know what they've been through. Yeah. Well, I, I truly believe the more that we know about a person, we let the less we judge them. And I, and I believe if we knew people perfectly, we wouldn't judge anybody. Yeah, I agree with that. So uh, how old you said you have, you have one child now? Yeah. I have a daughter who's 15 months, 15 months. Okay. So you're, you're just getting started on this. Journey. Yeah. I'm fresh. Yeah. Although I don't so feel I, very fresh. <laughs> well, 15 months. That's, that's, that's rough. Yeah. So I, you know, how do you think this project will impact your, your fathering of your child? That's a great question. Uh, I think about that a lot. Um, you know, and I write about it a little bit in the book. Um, I think that, you know, first of all, I want to have a household with 
open communication. And what that means is that I don't, I don't believe that, you know, parents should or need to share every detail of their lives with their children. But I do think that if there's something in the family dynamic that is impacting or will or could impact everyone, it needs to be talked about in a tailored way. So we don't need to say, like I said, everything all the time, but I think conversations can be tailored to children so that they can understand what's going on in their parents' life. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to be conscious about that. You know, if I'm stressed or anxious, or if there's something going on, it's impacting my relationship with my child. Well, then I need to tell her what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also want to encourage her to express herself and share with me and with her mother. And one of the ways that I want her to be able to do that is through creativity and for her to understand that using creativity is a valid way to express emotions, to express feelings. And, you know, like if I go back to my father, you know, he didn't speak to people about what he was going through, but if you look at his photography and I say this all the time, there's so much human emotion in his photos. Mm -hmm. I can sense a man who is feeling a lot and a man who is introspective and thinks a lot about life and about people and human existence. And, you know, I think that I, I, I want to encourage my daughter to express creatively and that there's like the creative part and then there's the talking about it. And it kind of goes back to like what I was saying before about my project, about how, or creating any projects that opens up the doors to conversation. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I want to, I want to give her the tools to create, whether it's music or photography or art, whatever it is. So, you know, creativity and communication um, need to be consciously thought about and encouraged in the household. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I, and I like what you said, it really has to be both, you know, some people that are very artistic, they, they pour themselves out through the art and they're, and they're usually deep feelers, they're deep thinkers, Yeah. but they don't, but they, other than their art, they keep it bottled up and it, and it drives them crazy. You know, we, we all see examples of artists that just couldn't handle this world because they just didn't know how to really connect, you know, and make that, that human connection, yeah. uh, produce beautiful art, you know, beautiful music, you know, and but just can't again make that connection. So I love the fact that you've got that the realization when your daughter's 15 months old. I think it's so important that we reflect. And you know, I tell people we can make choices from our parents leave us legacies. Uh, and we we do tend to go that way if we don't think about it, but we can also make conscious choices, and that's what you're choosing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, you, you touched on it before. Tell me a little bit more about your workshop that you put on. Yeah, so um, I've been to a few different conferences around U.S. and Canada. Um, I do, so I have a talk, like an author talk, or it's kind of like a keynote mm-hmm. and a workshop. They're two okay. different things, but they they kind of go hand in hand. Um, they don't have to. Uh, but the workshop is called Unburying My Grief, and it's a, a process for creating memorial art. And so, um, like I said before, I took my creative process broke it down into 10 steps. And so at every step, there's an actionable item. Sorry, there's a bit of noise. I'll wait till this. 
truck passes. <laughs> Urban living. Yeah. All right. Um, so it's heavy on writing. Um, although, you know, when someone creates their memorial art, it doesn't have to be a written piece. Um, but just the act of writing alone shows people that they can be creative because writing is creative. So mm -hmm. that's a start. Um, and then at the end of the workshop, when they do all 10 steps, it comes with a workbook and they've got like a, a roadmap for the steps that they can follow to create their own art. Um, and so, yeah, and it can be delivered in kind of different ways, like a one single session or multiple weeks. Um, and then the talk, uh, is a 45 minute kind of deep dive into the creative and emotional process that went into making my project and, mm -hmm. you know, what it's meant for me, uh, and what the impact is on me, my family, the bleeding disorders community, um, you know, there's lots of different avenues it can go down, but, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's meant to, you know, talk about all the things we've been talking about, the importance of, you know, speaking openly, being vulnerable, sharing our stories and, you know, the power of, of, of storytelling and, and not forgetting, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a piece of history or if it's just a, an individual life, you know, it's a great injustice to forget somebody's life. So how important it is to remember them. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's interesting because I think sometimes people, when they go through grief, they, they, they try to forget maybe, or they say, I'm going to put this aside, but you really can't, you might as well lean into it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's going to, it's going to come get you at some point, whether it's, I, I talked to a woman, I think it was 18 years after her son passed before she was really able to turn and, and face it and, and deal with the grief, but it's, it's going to be there. Um, you mentioned your family, what's your family's reaction been to your project? How, how has it changed the family dynamic of it all? Um, I mean, you know, they've been incredibly supportive of me. Um, my mom especially shared such amazing vulnerable content that is in the book. Um, so she was very forthcoming with me in terms of, sharing that information, which she hasn't been historically. And so um, learning her story and the challenges mm -hmm. she's faced has allowed us to repair our relationship a bit because, you know, after my dad died um, a year later, my brother went off to college and my mom and I were left alone in the home and things were, were really tense and not good. And, you know, I, I was, directing most of my anger towards her and mm -hmm. she was super anxious and projecting it onto me. And this project opened up, you know, the lines of communication where we actually spoke about those years yeah. for the first time ever. Yeah. Talked about our own sides of the story. And so we we've come to, you know, a better place with each other. And she came to, um, so I was a keynote speaker at the Hemophilia Federation of America's event this year. Mm -hmm. My mom came with me and it was amazing for her because she met for the first time other spouses and people who lived through the same tragedy that she did. And yeah. there were a lot of people there who wanted to actually hear from her more than from me. Mm -hmm. um, and that was so cool for her. And so it kind of brought her into you know, being more involved in the project. Um, 
And then for my brother, you know, we've, as I've kind of like had some of these revelations about our parents and my dad and the things our family went through, um, as I share them with him, he kind of has the same revelations by proxy. And we've had some really great deep conversations about, you know, just understanding our family dynamic and why it was the way it was and why it is the way it is now. And, you know, we've, we've been able to, to share in that. And he's, you know, he's been involved in the project in terms of just like, you know, I, I always run things by him and consult with him and ask his opinion. And his voice is very much in the book. His, his voice actually opens the book um, mm. with this dream that he had um, on the morning that my father died. And mm. it's just, a, it's a powerful way to open the book and he's a really good writer. So, um, you know, it's, it's been good for our family. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think I was prepared and ready to be vulnerable publicly. Whereas, you know, I don't think my mom or my brother would have chosen to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're cool with me doing that and, you know, sharing my family's story publicly. Yeah. You know, it takes someone to go first to, to, to open up and be vulnerable and, and, and kudos to you for being that person to, to, to open that door. Um, and, uh, my parents are, are, are still here and I, and my mother and I had some issues when I was young and, you know, but it, I'm, I'm glad that, that she lived long enough and I lived long enough that we could have conversations about these, you know, some things years later. And, you know, one of the things that I realized is that our parents do the best they can, you know, they, yeah. they're not perfect people. They, they have their baggage. They have their issues from their parents and stuff. And, you know, my mother and I shared some of those things and I'm really glad that we did. So I'm glad you had that opportunity as well. Yeah, it's it's pretty, it's special and it's important. Yeah, it, it is. And so for you to to put yourself out there uh, and to be vulnerable and, and to take on this project and, I, I, and I, as people are listening and what you think of all the different levels of healing that are going on as you're doing this, you know, your yourself, your relationship with your father, your relationship with your brother, with your mother, the way that you're going to interact with your child. And this is all part of your father's legacy. You know, it's, and so, and and you talked earlier, like, well, this isn't about me, but another thing I realized is most people don't realize intentionally or not, we're leaving a legacy. We're all, we're all leaving a legacy. And most of us are having a much bigger impact than we think. And I don't know if you know much about my my podcast, but um, I interview a lot of people that had near death experiences and they talk about having this life review and they realize the impact that their life has on people. And it's they're not special people. I'm not a special person, but we all have a bigger impact than we think we do. So you're, you're it's I see your father as I'm talking, I just see ripples going out and touching so many people. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I agree. It's it's very much multi-layered, and we all are multi-layered. Every story is so. So you're right. <laughs> Whether we want to or not, we're we're impacting each other. And so we gotta we gotta share with each other. Yeah. Well, it's really fun to, for me to explore those connections and to and again to just think about you know how we're all so you know interrelated. And sometimes, like I said, sometimes we'll feel alone. Sometimes we feel like I'm not making that big of an impact on the world. I'm just to this or I'm just to that. Um, but your, your project just, again, just illustrates that so well. And 
So when people get your book and they look at your book and they think about your father, it's not just about him. It's not just about you. It's about all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, where can people find out more about you? Sure. So the website is called randymasterphoto.com. Randy, obviously, was my father. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also just Google Unburying My Father, which is the title of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's just my full name, Z-A-N-D-E-R-M-A-S-S-E-R, Xander mm-hmm. Matthew. Um, yeah. So if you just Google my name, Google Unburying My Father, the website, the Instagram will show up. Um, on the website is where you can buy the book. Um, you can also buy prints. Um, some of my dad's photos are for sale. Cool. And, um, yeah, I'm around, um, I exist on the internet and in real life and, uh, people, if they want to contact me directly, can just email me at Xander at randymasterphoto.com. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, Xander, it's been a real pleasure meeting you today and, and sharing this time with you, learning more about your father and your project. And again, I, I just so admire the work that you're doing. So thanks for, for being there for, for everybody that's listening. Thanks. It was a really great conversation. So thanks so much for inviting me on. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, There are three things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron. Head over to www.patreon.com slash grief to growth. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash grief. The number two, growth and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grieftogrowth.com.
bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grieftogrowth.com. Hey there, if you liked this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.